Good morning, First Church family. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you all, to share the word of God this morning. And I would love to give uh, credit and honor to our senior pastor, Harold Hoffman, and First Lady, Renee Hoffman. Uh, We are in safe hands, First Church. And for all of those that are viewing online, that maybe First Church is not your home church or um, you haven't been able to be with us in person yet. But uh, we have such an amazing, incredible leadership here. And uh, I give honor to them uh, and thank you, Pastor Hoffman, for everything that you have done in allowing us this platform uh, to be able to get into other people's homes via the Internet. You've foreseen this a long time ago, and we're able to open up the doors to online streaming. So we're so incredible that we have a pastor that has vision. Uh, but this morning, I want to walk us through some scriptures and something I believe that God gave me that will help us. And so we're going to start in Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him, and made a house uh, about that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the lands. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And I'd like to read one more scripture in Job 22, verse 9. It says, When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. In the current climate that we are in today, it's a historical one. It's one that is being written in history books. It's something that has shifted the trajectory of so many. It's altered the courses of those. And unfortunately, I'm not just talking about COVID-19. There are some things that have happened to many of us that have shifted our lives, that have altered the course of maybe where we thought we would be or should be 10 years ago. And there are some things that have happened that have messed with us and, and, and changed us. And I want to talk to us about the, um, the power of having an ambidextrous God. The power of an ambidextrous God. And so I want to pray over us real fast before we get any deeper in here because I believe God's going to have something that'll inspire us and that'll challenge us and encourage us. Lord, I am so thankful for the privilege of sharing your word here. And for everyone that is online that is hearing us right now and to those that will view this later and hear this later, I'm asking God that you would be with them, that our hearts and our ears would be open, that the challenge that you'll present in front of us, that the word that will edify and encourage us, that will become alive inside of us, and that when this is done, we can walk away uh, and be able to share this with someone else. And to be able to have an assurance, God, that you're with us right now and that you foresee all that's going on. And God, that there is a greater plan at work here and we are submitted to that. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that uh, we can walk with you in this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ambidextrous just really means a person that is gifted or can use both hands equally, their left and their right hands. All throughout Scripture... We really read about the right hand of God, which is dominant through Scripture. We reference it over 166 times in the Bible. But when it comes to the left hand of God, there isn't as much there. 
Obviously, we're not talking about a physical hand of God, right? We're not looking at a physical left or right hand of God. It's something called anthropomorphism, and that is uh, it gives an attribute of a human quality to God or an animal or an object. So we're not talking about the actual left or right hand of God, but we're talking about what they stand for, what they represent, the qualities that are represented there. When you look at the right hand, what is significant about the right hand? When you look at the right hand, um, we hear that, hey, this is my right hand man. You know, this is my guy. He's my right hand. It really stands for the, the power or authority, something that is dominant. That's really when you talk about the right hand, what that means. Uh, but when you, when you go back, go back a, maybe a couple of decades ago, really, times have changed. But uh, you don't see a lot of left-handed people. And if you're a lefty, I'm not trying to offend you. But there are just more right-handed than left-handed people. And uh, growing up, we didn't have a lot of left-handed friends. I, I Actually, I can go back to somebody in middle school that I was friends with. She was left-handed. And um, it was weird seeing somebody with the left hand. It wasn't something that you'd see normally. Matter of fact, you would see a lot of this, right? Remember, if you know somebody with the left hand, when they're writing, it kind of looked like this, and they're just kind of writing. And naturally, when you're doing this, what would happen? What would happen right here? They'd get ink all over their hand because of the way they had to write. In the sports world, when you see a basketball player uh, shoot his shot from the perimeter or, or from the baseline, it looked weird. It was a different look, something you're not used to seeing, a left-handed basketball player. In baseball, when a right-handed pitcher uh, is facing a batter, if you had a left-handed batter come up, they specifically had to switch out the pitcher to get a lefty to be able to pitch towards that batter. So things had to change. Uh, Left-handed you don't see a lot of people with left hands. It's usually you're seeing right-handed people. It doesn't take away from a left-handed person, but they're, it's not uh, as prevalent as a right-handed person. I, I remember my dad telling me this story. Uh, as my brother got a little bit older and mature and started growing, he noticed something from Steve. When Steve would go for food, he would go with his left hand. And my dad started seeing this and said, huh, well, you know, I, I think he's, he's left-handed. And my dad didn't want a left-handed son. He thought he should be right-handed. Maybe because in Portugal there are not a lot of left people, left-handed people. I don't know. But for some reason, my dad said, my son's going to be right-handed. And so every time Steve would go grab, whether it was uh, food or, or a toy or something, my dad would say, no, 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 no. And he would make him reach with his right hand. In so much that over time, my brother became right-handed, and the whole time we thought my brother was right-handed. I never knew he was left-handed or was supposed to be left-handed. But it just obviously something, and my dad said, I, you know, he's got to be right-handed. And so he had trained my brother to be right-handed. And we knew nothing about that till obviously, I think it was in our early teens, we learned this story. Uh, but usually when you're dealing with hands, you, you think of the right hands, Matter of fact, in Scripture, the right hand represented the greater blessing. We can read about that in Genesis 48, 13 through 14. It says, Joseph brought his two sons to Jacob for a blessing. And so at this time, um, here, here Joseph's bringing his two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was the older son. And he, he brings them up to Jacob. And he says, hey, Dad, it's time for you to bless these boys before you pass away. 
And here, Jacob takes his right hand and places it on the youngest, Ephraim, takes his left hand and places it on Manasseh, who is the oldest, and he prays a blessing. And here, Joseph said, hey, dad, listen, no, 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 you got it wrong. Uh, Ephraim's the youngest, Manasseh's the oldest. I need you to switch your hands. But it was too late. The greater blessing was transferred to the youngest son through the right hands. So the right hand signified a greater blessing. When you go to Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, this is dealing with the right hand of God, which is referring to the authority. Now, we'll, we'll go over a few scriptures here, and, and I encourage you, take the time this week to do a research on the right hand of God. We don't have a lot of time to park here, uh, but I, I want you to see the importance of the right hand of God. Here it says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sat him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but is in the world to come. So naturally we know that we serve a God that is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? Where When he talks about sitting him on the right, it's not a physical location. But this shows us that this is a, a, a picture of a seat of authority. So here, the right hand of God, it shows that his power is above everything, every dominion, every name. So we're linking the right hand of God as his right hand in authority, we love, as apostolics, to pray for authority and talk about authority. I've heard so many people over time bind this and cast that and take authority over that. And as God's people, we have that right when we are consecrated to him. I just want to throw this out that, listen, there are some things you have no business trying to throw or cast authority over or cast a demon out and try to get involved in authority if you're not praying and not consecrated. Be careful to what you allow in your spirit and what you try to tap into the spirit if you are not prepared. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 19, there were these Jews, they were traveling. They had heard that demons were being cast out through uh, Paul's clothing and, and um, that when they prayed in the name of Jesus and, and through Paul that these demons would flee. And so these guys tried that. Matter of fact, when they met a, a man that was possessed with the demon and tried that because they weren't consecrated and they didn't have the same spirit that Paul was casting them out, uh, the demons actually said, Jesus, we know, Paul, we've heard of, I have no idea who you are. They literally jumped out of that man and went to those Jews and overtook them. And the Bible says that they beat those guys naked because they were trying to cast something that they had no business touching. So a freebie for you this morning is if you're not consecrated and you're not praying, then stop trying to cast out something that you have no business touching on. <laughs> but it, it shows you the value and the power and the authority in the right hands of God. Matter of fact, we just brought in a little puppy into the house, um, Sky. Caesar is now 10 years old. And in dog world, you know, he's a Rottweiler. They tend to be about 10 years old. Um, lifespan is about 10. And so little Sky walks around the house because she's getting a lot of attention right now. And she tries her hardest to bark at Caesar, a vet dog. And that little bark, she tries so hard. But you know what happens? All it takes is Caesar to have enough and one wolf of that deep, just that deep bark that he has and the volume of him exhaling sends that little dog to the very corner of the home. You know why? Because her bite, her bark is bigger than her bite. So we need to make sure that when we are 
operating in authority and trying to access the right hand of God in authority that we uh, can match the bark that we have and that we are consecrated in him. But I like to go to Exodus 15, verse 6. It's the right hand here shows his, his power. Here Moses is talking, and actually this is a song that we're going we're gonna to read just one verse on. Uh, but in chapter 14, the Egyptians just were buried at the Red Sea. The Israelites were on flight mode, and here they come up against the Red Sea. They, they, they think there's no way out, and here God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites go through it. The Egyptians chase them. God closes in the walls of the Red Sea, and now Israel is on the other side. And this is what Moses says. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. It was the right hand of God, his power, that destroyed the enemy. I am so thankful for the power of God and that when the enemies come in, the Bible says that he will lift up a standard against the enemy. He is strong enough to lift up and have the power to lift up a standard against the enemy that as he did with the Egyptians, he can crush the enemy that is after you because he holds the power in his right hands. When you go to Isaiah 41.10, it says, fear not. For I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. In his right hands, there is a strength that comes from it. In Proverbs 18.10, we used to sing this song uh, back in the early 90s. We would sing, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. I am so thankful for the name of the Lord that has strengthened it. It's a place that you can be safe. The righteous can run into it and there is a strength in the name of Jesus, which is why we pray the name of Jesus, because there comes a strength with it to knowing that I might not have all the answers. I might not have the power to deal with certain things. I sometimes become so weak with life that I don't have the strength, but he has the strength. There is strength in the right hands of God. And then when we get to Psalms 118, Verse 16 says, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. I love the message translation. It says that in the hand of God, he is raised in victory. There is victory in the right hand of God. Listen, life is but a vapor. We are to occupy until he comes. And I will not live in fear or in doubt. I am going to occupy until he comes. I will do with the best with what he has given me. But I will say this that there is victory in his hand. And when sin entered the world, the Bible says that every one of us were born into sin because of Adam. But I am so thankful that I don't have to live a life and wonder at the very end of my time here, will I make it to heaven or not? When I am born with sin, I know I can rest assured that he died for me on the cross. He has given me provision. He has filled me with the spirit. I have been baptized in Jesus' name. And so there is victory in his hand and I no longer have to worry about the enemy because he won it at the grave. We just a couple weeks ago, we, we celebrated this resurrection and there's victory in the right hand of God. So you can rest assured that he already defeated the enemy and he has won that battle. The right hand is a symbolic um, place of rulership, authority, sovereignty, blessing, and strength. See, we write songs about the right hand of God. Our messages are tailored, our messages are tailored to the right hand of God. 
There ought to be things inside of us that get inspired about the right hand of God. Because when we're in the middle of something, we turn to that. We turn to his power. We turn to his authority. We turn to the victory that he holds in his hand. It's an amazing place for us to operate and is in the right hands of God. Scripture says that I have come to not just give you life, but life more abundantly. And we rely on the fact that this right hand cannot just give us a great life, but it's an abundant life. But what about the left hand of God? Is the left hand not important? We are a lot about, again, we just proved 166 verses on the right hand of God. All of his attributes and the absolutes are the right hand of God, a place where he dwells. Well, what about the left hand? How important is the left hand? Ever try to tie your shoes with just your right hand? Maybe try to put your clothes on with just your right hand. Last semester, just a few weeks ago, last semester of life group, um, I was in Susan Fellow's life group. She did an amazing job dealing with families and healthy communication, healthy conflict, and, and uh, just an incredible job by Susan Fellows. And shameless plug, uh, we have another week till life group semester starts here in just another week. So please get on our website, firstchurchsterlingheights.com. Sign up for a life group if you have not. It will impact you. I had a great time in her life group. But in her life group, we found out that her husband, Jim Fellows, had surgery, and it was very difficult. And there was a lot of pressure on her because her husband could only use one hand. And they quickly found out that showering, getting dressed, couldn't do it by himself. He needed a lot of help. So the left hand became a source of tension almost in the family because it was so difficult to operate. But Jim, of course, is an amazing guy, and he did the best he could, and Susan's awesome. How many of us would really come out on the other side like Jim and Susan did if we only could operate with one hand? I think many of our, especially for somebody like me who tends to be a little bit needy, I don't know how Bridget would handle it if I could just had to rely on her all the time because I was only tied to one hand. But in the sports world, the ability to be ambidextrous can give someone the advantage in a situation. Now, I want you to watch this clip and see the advantage of one that can work from the left hand as well as the right hand. Take a look. It's just a short clip. Watch this clip and let's see what an ambidextrous athlete can do. This iconic moment that you just witnessed happened June 5th in 1991 during the NBA's finals. The Chicago Bulls played the Los Angeles Lakers. And here you had an athlete that was ambidextrous. He, he came in with his right hand. And when the defense showed him uh, uh, a probable area that maybe he would have issues with, he then switched it to his left hand and was able to score. How do you defend an athlete that is ambidextrous, that can play with both hands. We can get so fired up about the right hand of God and the songs that we sing and we're so excited what God is doing through his right hand and his absolutes that we overlook the left hands. The Bible, again, doesn't give us much insight to the left hand, but this is what it does give us. The opening uh, story that we just heard is, is, on, is about Job. And the first three verses of Job tell us really what kind of man he was. I'll read you the first three verses. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxygen, uh, of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very great household. I think the message says a very large house. So that the man was the greatest of the men in the east. 
Job here is blameless and upright. He feared God and he had everything. He had sons, daughters, all the cattle, all the oxygen. He had everything. You could say that the Lord showed, showed Job his right hands, his hand of favor, his hand of strength and protection. So go to Job 1.8, which we read earlier. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and eschewed him. Here God offers up Job to Satan. Listen, I promise you, if Job would have known this was happening, Job was never at the negotiating table when this was happening. I'm pretty sure Job might have something to say here. I bet you if, if, if God offered up to Satan somebody in your home and said, hey, listen, you know what? Susan Fellows is an amazing woman. Led an incredible life group. You know what? I want you to go mess with her. Susan might say, listen, Jesus, we're okay right now. You could take a break from us. Things are finally falling into place. How about you not mess with me? But Jesus, God had such confidence in Job, that he offers him up to Satan. And this is what Satan says. He answered the Lord and said, doth, doth Job fear God for not for nothing? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the lands. Verse 11, but put forth thine hand now. In the NIV, it says, stretch out Stretch out thy hands and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to your face. I thought for a minute, how can the right hand of God, we just walked through a small snippet of what that is, how can the right hand of God cause destruction? If Psalm 1611 says that thou will show the path of life, thy presence is fullness of joy, at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. How can bitter water and sweet water come from the same well? How is it that if God is going to stretch out his hand toward Job and give him and, and afflict him with pain and allow Satan to do that, how is it if the right hand is power, provision, protection, authority? How is it? that that would happen. Job 23, nine says, well, he pleaded against me with his great power. No, but he put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him, so should I deliver forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him, he hideth on the right hand that I cannot see him. This is Job talking through what he is feeling. Now listen, I have an amazing mother-in-law. And I can tell when I come home, if my wife is on the phone with my mother-in-law, I can tell because there's a lot of silence and I hear the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for 45 minutes. Why? My mother-in-law just wants to talk out her feelings. So Job is having a mother-in-law moment here and he is talking out what is going on. And what struck me is verse nine, on the left hand where he doth work, I cannot behold him. It's on the left hand that God does his work. On the right hand, he is. These are his attributes. That is the absolutes. He is power. He is authority. He is strength. But it is on the left hand that God does 
the work. It's easy for us to talk about the right hand of God and claim his promises, but it is very difficult for us to be able to want to own the process of arriving at the promises of God. It's on the left hand where he does his work. I'm reminded of a story of Abraham. In Genesis 17, verse 2, God promised Abraham that he would multiply a seed and make him famous, make him the father of many nations. And so Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has two boys, Jacob and Esau. So Jacob has an encounter with God and his life has changed. His name is now Israel. So Israel here has 12 boys. One of them is Joseph. Joseph becomes the dreamer. Joseph tells the dream to his, he tells a couple of dreams to his brothers. Naturally, his brothers didn't really care for the dreams because, you know, huh? that meant his brothers would bow to him. Listen, I've got two boys. None of them are bowing to each other. They fight constantly over, you know, well, I, you know, how come I wasn't able to do that? How come he can do that? And I never been able to. I hear that all the time. So I could imagine what it would be with 12 brothers and one of them has this amazing dream or a couple of them. And the brothers are like, you know what, bro? That's not going to happen in this house. So they seek to kill Joseph. Instead, they end up selling him into Egypt. Joseph ends up in Egypt. There's a lot of history. So I'm going through this relatively quick. But here he's sold into Egypt He ends up in prison over a false rape charge. There's a couple of guys down there, a baker and a cup holder. They have a couple of dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams. Those guys get out of prison. Ultimately, Pharaoh has a dream and those guys can't help him. But somebody remembers Joseph, that he interpreted a dream. So Joseph gets brought out of prison and here there's a dream that Pharaoh had and Joseph interprets it and says, hey, listen, there's a famine that's coming, but if you stock up on the toilet paper right now and get your milk and eggs, we'll be fine. And so this is what happens. Now, Joseph is second in command and he's helping them get through this famine. And so now, because Israel and his brothers come into, come into um, uh, Egypt, and here is what Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 45, 7 through 8. And God sent me before you to preserve a prosperity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all of Egypt. This was the vehicle that God used to bring Israel into Egypt. So here, now you have God who had set Joseph up. It was the left hand of God working to put Joseph in a place of prominence. The left hand of God. And so the Bible says that Pharaoh had passed away and then another Pharaoh came on the scene. Another king that knew not Joseph, that didn't know who this God was, and he enslaves the Israelites. And so now you see Moses come on the scene and he recruits Aaron. And here Moses gets in front of of, um, the king of Pharaoh. And this is what he says. And, And this is God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh. And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. It was God that allowed this Pharaoh to enslave his people. How could this right-hand God allow this Pharaoh to enslave and inflict pain on his people? I'll tell you why. It was the left hand of God that was doing the work. The left hand of God. After the 10 plagues, we know that all of Israel, it comes out of Egypt. But here is the, 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 the punchline I want you to see. It was 
at this time that God honored a promise to Abraham. It was at this time when the whole world was on a platform watching these slaves and their God take down the most powerful nation, Egypt, in the world. All of Egypt had fallen because of these slaves and their God. And at that time, Abraham was the father of all these nations. And at that time, God's name was known throughout the whole earth. It was the left hand of God that was working to manifest the right hand of God. It was planned from the very beginning using a Pharaoh that hurt his people, using slavery, using famine. All of these things were the left hand of God just so God's name would become known and that Abraham's promise would be fulfilled. This is why I am not afraid of the current political climate that we're in. Listen, as God's people, we ought to vote. We ought to be praying for our leaders. We ought to be engaged, but we cannot live in a fear of where we are. This is why it baffles my mind on how we can spend so much time on social media platforms. Listen, if, if Jesus was walking the earth today and he had his followers, probably at least he'd have a minimum of 12 followers at his account. But I promise you that Jesus would not be engaging on Facebook bashing any of our leaders, whether it's the president, whether it's the governor, I don't care who it is. But yeah, it baffles my mind. And this is free. So just enjoy this. And now if you're getting offended right now, this probably is referring to you, which I'm not thinking of anybody at this moment. And if you're not uh, offended at this, that means you don't have a problem with this. But what I'm saying is, listen, if you spend more time on your social media account talking about what the political scene is and sharing what this governor or that mayor or who said this or the president said that, and, and you're not sharing what's going on in your church and in your family, that's a problem. I don't have to live in fear because, listen, whoever is my president, whoever is my governor, God seen fit because that is the work of his left hand. So, church, I'm asking you, let's not engage in spreading division and strife between each other on these platforms because guess what? There's not a video you're going to post that's going to change somebody else's minds. They're going to stick to the party or to the agenda that they have. So what I'm asking is, why don't we start sharing what the church is doing and what's going on in our families and start lifting up our city and our community with some hope and positivity? Because listen, God is on the throne. I don't have to engage in something that is tearing the community, the city, the nation, the globe down. And so that was free, by the way. It's okay. You can sit in your seat and, you know, go back to Facebook later. <laughs> what I'm saying here is, God is in control and it's his left hand that is doing the work to manifest what is in his right hand, his, his, his attributes, the absolutes of God. So what is the value of this ambidextrous God? The value is too often, again, we want to talk about the power and the authority of God. We want his right hand. We want to sit on the right hand with him and in this authority. But you cannot sit with him and benefit only from his, from his right hand if we're, if we're not able to allow him to operate with his left hand. We want the miracle without the need. Without a famine, there would be no deliverance. Without a Red Sea, there would be no miraculous victory. But listen to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. This is what Paul says. Therefore, I boast 
all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in the weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For where I am weak, then I am strong. When God is working in our lives through his left hand, he is perfecting us through our weakness so that we can sit with him on his right hand in the authority and power. Could it be that God is working through his left hand right now through this virus? Could it be that God is working through his left hand to whatever issue that you're facing? Maybe you're going through something in your marriage. Maybe it's something with your children. Maybe it's something financially, emotionally. I don't know what that is, but I know a God that knows exactly what that is. And could it be for us to see his right hand on display that he is working through his left hand to meet up with his right hands? Could it be? This virus has not only challenged the church, but has challenged us individuals. I don't believe the church could have survived this pandemic 20 years ago. I really don't. I'll give you a story. When me and my brother were younger, we lived in uh, this, this main artery, Fall River, Massachusetts. That's where we grew up. And the main artery through our city was Robeson Street. And we lived in this, in this home with a very, very small yard, but a very large tree to the left. And we would take my dad's screwdrivers, we would take sharp rocks, whatever it was, and we would go to the base of this tree where all the roots were, and we would make these canals, you know, these little canals underneath the roots, and we would get something called a matchbox car. Most of you might not know that if you're probably under the age of 20, 25, but we would take a matchbox car, and we would get these because they were only 99 cents at Benny's or Ames or any of those stores, which none of you know what they are. Um, the equivalent to the Walmart today. And we would play and we'd have almost like a little village out there and we would be playing. And, and so if you were to ask us today in this pandemic, like, hey, can we stream church online? You know what we would do? We would just send you a DVD and maybe a Matchbox car. That's how you'd watch service. We wouldn't know how to do that. But it's the millennials that God has, played. that generation, Generation Z, which the church had such a tough time adjusting to and understanding. It's because of the millennials, really, that you're able to see this. So I want to publicly thank Colin, Zenobia, Tyrone Reed, uh, the creative team, Jeremiah Gibbs, Matt Coffrin, all the guys on the production team. Thank you so much for doing this and putting this on every week for us. So the church ought to be praising the millennials right now in Generation Z because we're coming live at a time like this. So I think God's seen the transition and knew he could trust the church with this working of his left hand in this season right now. And so could it be that God is using this time? We need the left hand of God and the right hand of God. What good is it if I know God's got all this power and authority and yet I could never access it? But what good would it be if all we had were the workings of a left hand without the hope of the manifestation of the right hand? That's what makes it so awesome when we know we have an ambidextrous God that can take the left with what he's working with and manifest his right hand in our lives. We need both hands. Job 23, 9 through 10 says, On the left hand where he doth the work, but I cannot behold him, he hideth himself on the right hand, and I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tried me and I shall come out as gold. I'm so glad that he knows while he's working on the left hand, he knows exactly what I can take. I bet you Job was frustrated with everything happening. He had no idea. He limited himself what, what he thought he could handle. And God knew exactly what he could handle. 
and he pushed him to the limit, but he endured to the ends. And so without the left hand, we'd never have access to the right hands. God reveals himself through the middle, through the left hand. So in the middle of what you're going through, it manifests who he is on the right hand. How could you understand the authority if you never were bound before? How could you ever understand the power if you had never gone through a battle? How could you understand the strength of your weakness if you, your weakness, how could you understand this, his strength through your weakness if it was never exposed? How would you ever understand victory if you never suffered a loss? It takes the right hands and the left hands of God. This is why this verse in Psalms 111 verse 7 is so important. The works of his hands, the works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commands are sure. Verity in Hebrew means truth and judgment there means to move into a place in harmony with truth. That's why when you read that the right hand are all these absolutes, the power and the authority, and the left is his working. Why? It's because it's moving to marry up to the truth. It's opening the door for us to experience his power. Now read verse uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter one, verses three through five. What a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him. This is the message. I, I love this version of it. This father of our master, Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And a future starts now. God is helping, God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in fire comes out as proved pure. Genuine, genuine faith put through the suffering comes out proven genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I want to encourage us today that through COVID-19 or whatever it is that you're facing right now, it is the workings of God on his left hand because he is getting ready to manifest his right hands. He is getting ready to show you his power. I love Acts 1a. I refer to it all the time. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But listen, it just doesn't come on you for that. But why? Because you will be a witness unto me unto all the earth, to Judea and Samaria, to all the parts of the earth. So listen, let's be witnesses together. Let's embrace the fact that he is working on his left because he's about to manifest his right hand. I don't know how this all shakes out in the next year or two years. I don't know that. But I know enough after reading the word, after studying the word, after being in prayer, I know enough to say I might not see it. I don't know why they went from a famine. I don't know why they left the famine and went to being enslaved. But all I know is after all of that happens, his name became famous throughout all the earth and Abraham's promise was fulfilled. So what I'm saying is in the season that you're in now, it might not make a lot of sense to you, but understand while he is working on the left, he is also providing on the right. And when you have a God that'll take what he has provided to what he'll reveal to you and you put those together, it's like that athlete that you can't defend. 
Wherever, however Satan comes at you, he loses either way. It gets revealed through his right hands. So when, with wherever you're facing, whatever's going on, I want you to be encouraged this morning that God is at work on his left hand and he will manifest himself through his right hands. God, I am so thankful that I don't have to uh, live this thing alone and try to foster anything on my own. But God, I have this assurance, this confidence that time and time again, you have proven yourself in your word as well as in my life personally, that every time I have an experience through the left hand, your right hand is revealing something powerful, another manifestation of your presence, of who you are. And it becomes so real, God, that I'm asking that whoever right Right now that is hearing this, that is watching this, whatever they are facing in their life, whatever mountain they're looking up, whatever battle they are facing right now, God, I'm asking that you would release this, this, this word of knowledge into them to know that you never left to forsake them. They're not alone in this together. It is you working with your left hand. It is you by their side right now because God, as soon as we come out of this, it's your right hand that gets revealed. It's the power. It's the anointing. It's the authority. It's the favor that's what's going to get manifested to us and so God in this season that we are in right now Lord God we ask that you would forgive us for any negative words that we have used a poor spirit a word uh, maybe dividing each other maybe saying things that we regret God but Lord I take solace in knowing that you're in control right now which means your right hand is up to something amazing and you're going to manifest to us another piece of who you are God to reassure us that you are walking with us and so Lord, as we depart this morning, as we go about our week, we'll hold our head high and we'll, we'll have the confidence to know that whoever we come in contact with, whether it's on social media or admire, to know that I am not afraid of not just this virus, but I'm not afraid of where I stand personally in my relationships, in my finances, that you're working for something and that there's something great on the horizon and that it's in your right hand and in the power that is in your hand. And we are so thankful for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And until we can meet again, God bless you. Have an amazing week. And know that First Church, we are praying for you. We love you. And for all those that have joined in, thank you for making us a part of your journey this morning.